Jacob was a liar. Moses had a stutter. Gideon was a coward. David, an adulterer. Rahab was a prostitute. Esther was an orphan. And Balaam's donkey was, well, a donkey. Yet God used each one to impact his kingdom. Here at Bel Air Church, impact is one of our core values. Now when most people think of impact, they think of... But we see it as an act of multiplying what God is doing through you. As we embody a life of impact, we invite, empower, and release others to follow Jesus as well. Jackie Robinson said it best when he said, A life is not important except for the impact it has on other lives. Impact. It's how we follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. Well, Beller family, good morning, those of us in the room, but also those streaming online. It's an exciting season in the life of the church. I've been saying the last few months that we are on the cusp of our 60-year anniversary as a church, and we're celebrating that. It's exciting. You know, it's truly remarkable when you think about the level of impact that faithful men and women have had, not only on this campus, but also in this city and this nation around the globe. It's phenomenal. And in this next year, as we celebrate our 60-year anniversary, you're going to hear stories, stories perhaps that you have never heard before of people who are willing to show up, who gave not only the strength of who they were, but also even out of their weaknesses to accomplish what was impossible had they not shown up and played an indispensable part in what God was doing in and through this church. And so here we are in this new season, on the cusp of our 60-year anniversary, Asking God, what do you have for us? How can we faithfully follow you as we stand on the shoulders of faithful men and women from the past, as many of them are still with us today, whether today's our first day or we've been here since year one, what does it look like for us to be faithful in this new season? And the language we've been using is that we want to be simply faithful in following Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. It's all about Jesus as we follow Him. He's the, the, our North Star, the true North in our lives, where we can find our meaning and worth and significance only through Him. But it's not just on Sundays, it's every day. It's not just on this church campus, but it's everywhere, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, even on vacation. And it's not just with Christians. It's not just with those who it's easy to follow Jesus around, but it's simply with everyone we come into contact with. And so, as you've, if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've we've began to unpack different values. That if we were to embody these values, it gives us a tangible way of life to spend the rest of our lives following Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. So we talked about hospitality and courage and health and community. And finally today, we're gonna to talk about impact. But before we do that, I gotta say that anything can happen to me up here uh, because I ran a race yesterday uh, up in the mountains. It was farther than I've ever run before. And um, if I just like do this, um, there's not a sniper in the balcony. Um, and if you're new, that's not normal. But literally, um, yesterday, I was driving home from this race that the director of uh, youth discipleship convinced me to do and me with much less training than I should have done leading into that 21-mile race up in the mountains of Malibu. Um, it was like crazy. I'm driving home. Is Aro here? No? That's Matt Jones. Yes. A training partner. Yeah. He's, he's, he's wiped. Yeah. Matt, man, it was intense, bro. You know. 
So we're driving home, and I'm literally driving through, you know, Canaan, if you know that area, out in the, uh, you know, through Malibu, and I'm coming back, and all of a sudden I yawn, and oh, oh, oh my chin cramps. My chin. Have you had a chin cramp before? Literally, the muscle right down here cramps. I speak for a living of many things that I do, and I, I, oh, touch this. I'm weird. I'm odd. But there was this knot here. And he's like, dude, what's wrong with you? And he's like working it out. And finally, I'm okay. So again, anything can happen from up front. And I apologize in advance if I have one of those moments. But I, I'm well hydrated. Somebody came up to me after 9 a.m. and they said, French is yellow mustard. Eat that. You'll be great. It's worth it. I'm going to try it after the service. I'll take anything at this point. Um, Absolutely ecstatic to also tell you that after uh, the 9 a.m. 9 service, we had a congregational meeting, and we have called a new associate pastor of Caring Ministries. Many of you, you know who Mike Morgan is. He's been our senior director for a year, but he's been called, and there's been a lot of work. Charlie Shanayan was the, the chair of our DAPNC, Designated Associate Pastor of Nominating Committee, and he, with a team of men and women, uh, served faithfully for a season, looking at different candidates, and how exciting that Mike Morgan has now been received by the congregation. We're praying for him. He's got to go before the floor of presbytery next Saturday. Many of us will be there to support him as he is examined on the floor of presbytery. Many hoops, but we want to make sure that we are in prayer for him. Mike Morgan, what an exciting season. Hey, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open those up? They're in the pew in front of you. If you have a mobile device, you can go to Hebrews chapter 11. If you're in the front row, there's a little cubby right behind your leg, and it's that red book. And if you're online, uh, again, we're going through the New Revised Standard Version. In Hebrews 11, is a great launching pad for which we can begin to explore this concept of, of impact, Christ-centered impact. It's on page 978 in your pew Bibles as a quick reference, but let me read this. This comes after uh, an amazing section, by faith, by faith, Moses and David and Abraham and Rahab, many, many. And as we get to verse 29, I'm going to read for us verses, actually verse 32 all the way through the end, verse 40. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's Word. 
So there's something here that we see, and we see this actually in other places throughout Scripture, the end of the gospel according to John, for example, where the writer almost realizes that there's not enough ink in the world, there's not enough books on the planet to begin to describe the stories of the amount of impact that God's people have had throughout history. And the writer here says before that, if you were to read all of Hebrews chapter 11, there's some details of all these famous people, the pillars of our faith, but then it says, and I can't even, I, I can't even go on, there's so many stories. I don't even know how to sum up all the impact, all the amazing epic narrative that God has been writing as the mover and shaker of history through His people. And as we take a look at this moment, we need to know that we follow the same God. We have the same author of history who is authoring our future, not only as individuals, but also as a church. And God longs for us not just to be a church of impact, but God longs for us as individuals to be people of impact, to see in our lives that we can actually make a difference. Some of you, you need to hear that this morning. You need to hear that your life has value, that you have a calling upon your life, that no matter what your circumstances, no matter what failings you've had, no matter what your past is, no matter how bleak your future might look in your mind, God says, I have a call upon your life whether old or young, employed or not, missed out on things that you've hoped for your entire life or you've gotten everything handed to you on a silver spoon, God looks at you and says, I have a plan for your life and I want you to be a person of impact and of influence. I don't want you just to exist throughout life, but I'm calling you and I'm going to strengthen you and I'm going to give you courage and I'm going to give you the words, I'm going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you discernment to be the type of person that I've created you and I've put you on this planet to be. Some of you, you need to hear that today. And some of you, you think that your level of impact is so great, but you focused on the wrong things. And you need to hear today that there's only one thing worth investing your heart and your life, your strength and your weaknesses in. It's the kingdom of God. And actually, it's bigger than the church. It's bigger than what happens here on a Sunday. Actually, it pervades every area of your life, no matter what sphere of influence you're in. Whether you're a CFO, a CEO, a VP or a DP, whether you're, you know, a corner office or you're on the set, whether you're shopping your resume, whether you're a full-time parent, a landlord, fill in the blank, whatever you are, wherever you go, whoever you come into contact with, God has an opportunity for you to hear today that you can be a person of impact to the level of which the world might save you. We are not worthy of you. There's that phrase in there. I think it's so phenomenal. It talks about these people and what they were willing to go through. It goes on and on and on. And in verse 30, it says, of these people, the world was not worthy. I think many of us, we go throughout life and we think that we are not worthy. And maybe some of you, you hear today that God is calling you to something so great, so magnificent to be used by him, the author and mover of history, more important than any CEO, more important than any, any movement, more important than any political party, the very maker of the heavens and the earth has called you to be part of what he is doing. And you might say, I'm not worthy. No, 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 no. If you, by faith, step out and say, okay, I'm willing to show up. I'm willing to be open to being used by you, God, to, to live a life of impact, 
then the, the inverse is true, that the world will say of us, of you, gosh, we're not even worthy of you and what you've done to transform the world one person at a time. But as we begin to unpack this, I need to, I need to step away from this passage just for a moment. Because it's so easy for us when we're in this to kind of put these people up on a pedestal, to think of these people, oh, you know, Abraham and Gideon and Rahab. I mean, these are like amazing people. I would never be able to have the level of impact that they would. We need to dispel some myths when it comes to impact. In fact, there's three myths that I want to talk about today. I could spend a year talking about Christ-centered impact, but I've got just a little bit of time today, so I'm just going to take a look at three myths. And so to do that, I want to step out of this passage and I want to kind of tell a fable, a little story that will encapsulate the three myths that we often bring to when we understand impact. And then we'll come back to this passage. I want you to, I want you to imagine this. Imagine a little village up in the mountains. In this tiny village, a huge forest fire comes ripping through the canyons. And it comes up over the ridge line and it starts coming down. It starts barreling down in this little village. People begin to see it. They begin to panic. The fire department is now brought in. And they realize as the fire is coming up over the ridge line, and there's this moment where they, they see, oh my gosh, it's going to come down. It's going to come down. What's up, my man? Good to see you again. And as it comes down up over the ridge line, there's this moment where they see the fire. It's going to take this widow in her little cabin. And so they realize in this moment, what's going to happen? And so they start coming into this widow's cabin, and as the fire comes rushing down, they all of a sudden see this, this huge landslide, and boulder after boulder starts pouring down, and this massive boulder comes down, and literally, they think it's going to terrify and just rip through this house. And so they, they're just watching in awe and wonderment, this huge fire and the flames of this boulder that comes down, and it rolls down, it just misses her cabin, but it ends and it just stops, wedged in front of her front door. And she lives in one of these homemade, old, old, turn of the century, like not 21st century, the 20th century cabin, like back in the day, back in the day, 1800s kind of cabin. And there's little slits of windows, nothing big enough for her to get out. And so they realize what's going to happen. There's this immovable object, this huge boulder of a problem that is preventing her from being rescued. Flames are coming down. They have no idea what they're going to do. They can't get heavy machinery in. They can't get the equipment in. They don't know what they're going to do. They're looking around. They're looking for answers. People are saying this. People are saying that. They realize they can't figure it out. And all of a sudden, they hear this voice, this little voice, and it's the widow in the cabin. She says, in the garage, there's a sledgehammer and a chisel. Any other ideas, the chief of the fire department says, because a sledgehammer and a chisel, this is a huge boulder. The boulder is almost as big as the cabin. And they're looking around, no other ideas. And so finally they hear again the voice, I'm telling you, there's a sledgehammer and a chisel in the garage, get it? So they've got no options. There's, there's no other way out. There's no solution. So they go to the garage and they grab this sledgehammer, this little chisel, and it's so massive, it's so big, they're thinking, we don't have the right tools to, to destroy, to have an impact that'll free her from this cabin. Flames are still coming down. They've got the water. They're trying to beat it back so they save time. And so they, they look around. They're looking for the strongest person. It happens to be the chief of the fire department. 
Dude's ripped, massive, right? And he gets up on top. It's not just a little boulder. I mean, he's got to get hoisted up. He's now on top. He knows how to swing a sledgehammer. He's got his gloves. And he puts the, the wedge down. And he begins to just, just go at it. And he begins to go at it. And they're like, this is going to happen. This is going to be it. You know, and they're cheering on. They're cheering him on. They're so excited. But the minutes go by. And he's sweating. And the minutes go by. Now, now, it's, now it's like an hour. And he's slowing down. And he's slowing down. Don't cramp. Don't cramp. And he kind of, he kind of holds his leg. And the whole village just stops. And they realize she's going to be toast in there. I mean, if he couldn't do it, how can we break this boulder? So he stands up, he drops the sledgehammer. He's at the end of himself. And then he has this thought. He looks out and he sees all these people, men, women, young and old, the baker, the barber, all these people in the village. And he says, I need all of you to help me. I need every single one of you. If you think you're strong, if you think you're weak, I don't know what you've done in your life. I need you right now. I want you to come up here and I'm going to teach you how. And he literally picks up the sledgehammer again, but not to swing it himself, but to teach the whole village. And he says, this is what you've got to do. This is how you have to hold it. This is how you have to stand. And I'm going to hold that chisel down. I'm going to hold that wedge down. And you've got to swing at it. And you've got to aim for it. Come on up. Who's first? And so one after one, they start coming up. And people are excited. They know that they can do it collectively together. But the minutes go by and the hours go by. They're still beating back the flames with the water. And after a while, people are like, oh, no, it's not going to work. If the strong guy couldn't do it and all these people can't do it, what's... And they go through one after another, a thousand people in that village. Finally, they get to the last person, somebody in third grade who finally gets up, can barely hold the sledgehammer. I mean, just kind of get, getting it up, right? And finally just swings it once, just barely, and almost just drops it on the chisel. And the whole thing just splits and it falls open. They fall down, they catch the child, and there's great celebration. As the flames are coming down, they break open the door and they get the widow out and she's saved. She's been rescued. Amen, hallelujah, right? Exciting. <laughs> The news people show up. They're like, how'd this happen? Who rescued her? And they're pointing to the third grader. They're like, this one, this one, this was it. This is uh, phenomenal, right? And they're interviewing the third grader, and it's so exciting. And they, and they raise up this child because the breakthrough happened on that simple swing. Amazing, right? So I got a question. There's a lot of myths of impact that are hidden in that story. And I'll start it with this one question. Who had the greatest level of impact when it came to splitting open that boulder? Who had the greatest level of impact when the impossible was broken through? Shout it out. Widow. Widow. Lady in the house? Yeah, she had the greatest. Who else? Who else? What are some others? Fire chief, yeah, I mean, he swung a lot, right? Okay, he taught the people. Who else? The community, yes. Okay, good idea. This is good. This is good. So let's let's let's. I'm gonna leave you hanging. As to who I believe is the greatest level of impact in that story, but again, there was three things, three little things hidden in that story that absolutely are myths that that actually distort our approach to impact, our approach to influence, our approach to leadership. And the first myth is this, that sometimes we think that just the little tiny things won't make a negative impact at all. 
You might say, what? The negative impact? We're talking about positive impact. Well, hold on. There was a whole fire that began this story, remember? And what I didn't tell you is how that fire began. In fact, it was somebody miles away. They're just, you know, carelessly flicking the butt of their cigarette down, walked away. Little thing. Who cares? It's just a cigarette, just a moment, no big deal. And the fire that erupted from that little spark that began to spread as the wind, the Santa Ana's blew, as it became this raging inferno, lives almost lost, thousands of acres, all the things that happened just from that little thing. You can go back perhaps years later after that incident and see the scars on the land. I was running, like I said, up in the hills. There was a fire that happened five years ago that ripped through that area. And here I am running, trying to get through this 20-mile course, and all around me was charred and scarred land from something, little thing that happened five years ago. You have no idea how a little comment that you make to somebody you're frustrated with, to a kid that you've lost patience with, to a coworker you just want to, the littlest things that you could say, to a classmate, to a friend, to a, to a neighbor, to a roommate, the littlest things, it's just a cigarette butt, it's just a comment, it's just a… What a wildfire that can cause in somebody's life. It's just one conversation. I know they're not my spouse, but it's just one conversation. It's just one, you know, little fudge on the books at the end of the year. It's just a little white lie. It's just a little. One of the greatest myths that we have is that the littlest things don't have much of a negative impact. Oh, they do. In Ephesians 4, 29, you can read it later, it simply says this. It says, let no unwholesome talk come from your mouth. And God doesn't say that because He wants to be the stick in the mud. God doesn't say that because He wants to kind of, you know, control our morality or control our language. But God knows absolutely that the words that we speak can cause a wildfire of destruction in lives all around us. And if you flip it, you know what it's like. You carry scars. You have things, I do too, of things that people have said from years ago that we still carry with us, the littlest things. So when we dispel that myth, we can simply just be mindful in every moment, in any interaction, no matter who we're talking to. Somebody in line at the grocery store, we have no idea how the little words that we say could impact them for bad or for good. Second myth that we see hidden in that story is this, that it is only at that moment of breakthrough, again, when that little child broke through, the myth is that only at that moment was there impact. And of course, I mean, I opened it up and you were sharing, oh yeah, it's the widow and it's the whole village and it's this and it's that. So we, of course, in a cute little story, say, no, 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 it's all the collective whole. I get it, I get it, I get it. But what is it about how we go into our lives that we only lift up the people in our society that make the breakthroughs, that get the leading role, that are the starting quarterback, that always have success after success? 
And we do it in the church too. We look at people who they pray and a prayer is answered. We say, what? okay, I've been trying. I've been praying. They had breakthrough. Why are they having impact in their prayers and I'm not? That is a huge myth. We lift up these moments of impact or we lift up people that we think they are people of impact because they have breakthrough in their ministry or their influence or their kindness. It's a huge myth because the reality is that every single person that got up there, no matter how weak they swung it, no matter how strong they swung it, if they only swung it once or a thousand times, every single strike of that sledgehammer on that chisel was a moment of impact. Yes, it wasn't until the very last one that breakthrough happened, but if you ask any stone cutter, I did my research this week, they will tell you that when they chisel away, when they cut away, it's not the last strike that's the most important. It's every single one. And you might say, I don't see it. The, the, the village, I imagine, when they were swinging away, swinging away, dust might have flown, little chips might have flown. But after a while, they'd say, I don't see the impact. I don't see how this is going to do any good. We absolutely better have to be a church that are a group of individuals that we show up to every moment with integrity again and 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 again, even if we do not see the fruit of that or the breakthrough of that in our lives. We have to keep coming to the Lord in prayer, praying for those that we love that are caught up in addiction or caught up in problems, and we've got to keep praying. And even if we don't see the breakthrough after the first prayer or the second prayer, we've got to keep praying faithfully because every strike of that sledgehammer on the chisel matters. And when you go in your workplaces, as you are patient, as you are kind, as you are loving, as you lead with a a Christ-like attitude, it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. There's not going to be breakthrough. But if you continue to show up by faith is what that passage said, then you are part of something so much bigger, so much greater. Parents, this is huge. As you raise your kids, as you keep coming back to caring for them and teaching them and loving them, they're going to keep turning left and right and every which way. And it's going to be absolutely frustrating. You're going to be like, ah, I've got no impact. I've got no influence. I'm just going to give up. No, keep showing up. Keep showing up in your family, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, wherever you are. Every moment, every interaction, every smile is a moment of impact. We had somebody from our church get a meeting with the new speaker of the house of our nation. What they choose to say to the speaker of the house? I'm praying for you. Who knows how that phrase will be used? And some of you this week might choose to do this. You might for the first time go out on trash day and wait for the trash person to come by and you'll wave them down and you'll actually have a conversation. They'll look at you like you're crazy. I've done this before. Wave them down. They'll stop. And if you look at them and say, hey, I've taken you for granted my entire life. You take trash away. I don't know where it goes, but it's not here anymore. Thank you. You have no idea how God will use that in that person's life. Whether it's the speaker of the house or the person that takes out your trash. 
somebody you work with, a family member, a neighbor, who knows who you're going to be in line with at the grocery store, wherever you go. The littlest things matter. They make a difference. They could change the course of somebody's life. The reason why I am here today as the senior pastor speaking to you today is because people over the years, little things, tiny things, simply showed up and made an impact on my life. History is made up of a billion little decisions, little interactions, little moments of impact. You could change the course of somebody's life with a smile. You don't think so? Ask the widow who was freed, knowing that every single person swung that sledgehammer. Third myth is this. Comes back to that, that, that question that I asked in the beginning. Who had the most impact? You know, some people might say it's, well, there's the breakthrough. You might say it's the, it's the chief of uh, the fire department. I, I think it's a three-way, a three-way tie for different reasons. The first is this, chief of the fire department. The moment he reached the end of himself, he dropped the sledgehammer. He looked out. He realized that he had no more to give. He realized that he could multiply his influence by teaching and equipping and training the whole of the village to do the work that he was the expert in. I want to let you know, Belair, that I'm going to work relentlessly with our staff, and I have been since day one, to be an equipping church. That we wouldn't show up with our sledgehammer of caring and of serving and of loving and all the ways in which we have impact as individuals on a staff, but that we would be a staff that multiplies ourselves. We just brought on Mike Morgan as our new designated pastor of caring ministries. I've asked him not just to be the one that people go to if they need care, not just to be the one that would make appointments with people if they need care, but I want him to lead me, to teach me, to teach our entire congregation to be caring people. I want him to multiply his gifts in and through all of us. And so you're going to hear a lot from the upfront and from all of our areas of ministry of us wanting to equip and empower you to follow Jesus. Not to outsource it to us, but to equip you. Because you have people in your life that I'll never meet. You have access to people that I'll never or our staff will never come into contact with whether on the sports field, in the pool, at the gym, on vacation, wherever you go is an absolute opportunity for you to have an impact that only you can have. The second person who I think tied for first of most impact was the widow. Strategic mind. She did not swing that sledgehammer once, but she said, the sledgehammer and a chisel in the garage. She, she didn't, again, do anything physically, but she used her strategic mind to come up with a solution that nobody else in all the village could. She saw something that nobody else could. There's some of you that can have a tremendous impact because of your skills, because of your background, because of your education, because of your experiences and your wisdom. We need your strategic mind to help us have a greater impact in this city and around the world. But there's one more. Third person, tied for first. It was the husband who had passed away. Not even the story, not even alive. Was never there to see the celebration, never there to see the fire coming down, never there to 
be part of the rescue. Oh, but boy. The fact that 50 years prior to that, that husband had purchased that sledgehammer and that chisel, the fact that that tool was even there to be strategically thought of, to then be used, to then be trained, to then have that impact to split that boulder. You see, each very unique, each very impactful. And yes, it was everyone. But when we can multiply ourselves, when we can come at it with a strategic mind, and when we can create and fund and provide some of these things, who knows what God will do in and through us. And the stories that God will write in and through Bel Air, I'm absolutely confident in this next year, in this next decade, in this next season, will be these stories. That no matter the circumstances, no matter what the obstacles are, no matter how big the boulders are in front of us, if we collectively and individually show up and say, by faith, I'm going to be part of this. I'm going to swing the sledgehammer. I'm going to think strategically. I'm going to help provide answers and solutions. What could God do in and through us? We get front row seats to what God is doing in through this church. As we join other churches throughout the city and around the nation and around the globe, God is on the move. And what a joy it is to be part of it. You have in your hands a weekly, is what we call it. Every week we provide this for you. There's one thing in here I want to show you. I want to direct your attention to it. And it's simply the smallest thing. And you can grab some of these on your way out if you didn't grab it or if it wasn't handed to you as you came in. Again, here's a great opportunity for us as a staff to provide all of us as a congregation to be part of a huge level of impact. We have a goal, we have an opportunity. Ready for this? To give 13,000 people in our city a Thanksgiving meal. 13,000 people. That's a lot more people that are here today. And the only way we can do that is if we can multiply ourselves. And so there's various ways in which we can be a part of this. It's not just about money or about time or about strategic thinking. Whatever you want to bring, whatever you feel like you can give, even if it's prayer, how impactful, how huge that is. So take a look at this card. Again, some of you are hearing this and you don't have it in front of you, but here's an opportunity to either donate towards providing a turkey basket. So for $40, for example, it will feed 10 people. Talk about multiplication. You as one person can multiply your impact to feed 10 people, 20 people, 100 people, who knows? And if you're not able to give in that way in this season, perhaps you're available to serve on November 23rd to show up to help package together to be part of this amazing thing on campus, even to pray for those baskets before they're even distributed throughout the city. Or finally, maybe you want to you be part of the delivery of some of these baskets. You can serve after the 23rd to help our local outreach partners with their distribution efforts. And perhaps you want to take this home with you. Perhaps you want to fill this out now. But I ask you, if you're going to financially give, we have giving envelopes. Simply write turkey baskets on that over and above your normal giving and simply put this in and you can put that in the, in the plates as they go by. But Bellard, this is just one, one small, one massive but tangible way in which we individually and collectively can be part of impacting so many people during this Thanksgiving season.
It's one thing for you to hear about impact. It's something entirely different for you to begin to interact with it. Also, inside this weekly, open it up if you have it. This will also be up on the screen. As I've been doing the last few weeks is I've given you three minutes in groups of two or three to simply identify one thing that you want to put into practice this week. So, I don't want you just to hear and then walk away and forget it. I want you to commit to one thing that you can try this week to grow in your ability to have impact. So, I'm going to read through these. I don't want you to try all four. You'll cramp like me after a long race. Try one of these this week. And let me read them. First, identify one person in your life that you could encourage and pray for on their journey towards Jesus. Then do so. Second, identify one thing you are good at or passionate about. Start putting that gift or skill to work in a way that will benefit others, either at work, at home, at school, or at church. This week. Third, pray that God would help you see ways you are dividing your time, energy, and resources too much and help you find creative solutions to multiply your impact. And then finally, fourth choice, write down the names of five people that have made the most positive impact on your life. Consider how they did this and then take a step toward making that kind of impact on someone you know this week. And I might add to that one, call them, text them, in person, say, thank you. You have had such a huge impact on my life. So I'm going to give you two to three minutes in groups of two or three, simply just to identify one of those things that you want to try this week. You might have to move around. It's okay. Give you three minutes. All right, go for it.